share this morning, following on a little bit, we had um, Paul, Paul and Joe Bennett, our founding pastors, have shared over the last two weeks. And uh, Paul shared around actually not being uh, allowing our response to God but to be determined by our, our emotions. But actually God has given us the ability to command our souls, to speak to our souls and determine what our response is going to be when we, when we face adversity and trials. And then Joe followed on from that by um, share encouraging us in the renewing of our mind in order to see that happening. And um, I guess kind of my summary from that was dealing with some of our stinking thinking, right? Sometimes we can get caught in places and there's things going on in our minds. And what does it actually look like for the, to allow God to renew our minds and to um, be doing those new things in our lives and, and the encouragement that comes with it? And as I was pondering on these things um, this week, oh, team, do you guys want to give me a timer? Great. <laughs> Cheers. Otherwise, we could be here for a while. For the benefit of everyone, it would be great to have a time out. Awesome, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is like, shut her up. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I was kind of thinking on that, just pondering on those messages, and um, yeah, amazing and profound messages, but simple messages at the same time. I think ones that we've, we've often heard, but I think that we need to continuously come back to. And and I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, look, what is it? What is it that, you know, we can't, we can't, just, can't just get something and go, yeah, that was awesome, that's amazing, I'm going to live like that, and, you know, and, and that's it. But I was thinking about, you know, actually it's, it's so easy to become discouraged. And we have these moments where we connect with God, where we hear something that, that go, yeah, that, that's amazing. That's, that's how I want to live. Or, yeah, I want to I I see God do that in my life. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm believing for that. Or, yeah, God, you know, you have these, these moments where you're just overwhelmed by the presence of God and worship and go, man, what is it that we can't stay living in those places? And I think sometimes we, you know, we look at the Old Testament and we, we see these their journeys, and, um, and we go, oh, man, man, they were silly. Man, they did some dumb things. We look at the disciples, and how often do we, like, mock them and go, oh, man, well, that was a stupid question. Like, why would you ask Jesus that? Or, oh, man, like, why did you do that? Like, bro, what were you thinking? Like, what was going on in your head? But I think if I'm to be completely honest, and I'm like, if, if, my, um, if all of my questions and all of my actions and all of my, my faith interactions with God were put in a book for people to scrutinize, I get the feeling that I'm going to come off a little more unglamorous than what I think I would like to be. Do I have any friends in the place this morning? And like, let's just be real about some of this stuff, that we can um, have these have these moments and have these encounters and we can be so faith-filled and have really, really great motives. But let's be honest, sometimes life happens and we start to get discouraged and we start to lose a little bit of traction. And so we hear these amazing messages that we can command ourselves and go, yeah, that's incredible. And I want to be that kind of person. I want to live in that kind of faith. But this morning I want to talk about how do we stay in those places as well and how do we not let discouragement actually take a hold of our lives in those places? And rob us of what God has got. I love Doreen being here. <laughs> She's great. You guys can just follow her lead. I mean, anything that you think is good. Um, so I guess I want to look this morning at Exodus uh, chapter 32. And so we read through it. It says, well, when the people saw that Moses went so long in coming down from the mountain. So Moses had, had gone up the mountain and was, was meeting with God, and they were hanging at the bottom, right? And Aaron had been left in charge. And um, they came to him and gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us as, the, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. So he's taken too long, and they're like, 
we're screwed. Like, Moses is gone, something's happened to him, what are we going to do now? And Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took them... He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it, and fashioned it with a tool. Then he said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and to drink and got up to deluge and revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you bought out of Egypt have become corrupt. I love that at that point it's like the whom you bought out. (laughs) They are not mine. Look what your people have done, right? Um, But they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Now, do you know what I find amazing? Is it... Some scholars think that Moses was up there for about a month. So they had gone on this journey from Egypt where they had seen God move miraculously, where they had seen seas parted, where they had walked through the seas. They could have touched the water on the side. They had, they had seen God take, completely take care of Pharaoh's army. That, you know, they'd seen miraculous things happen. They had seen all of the miracles that had happened for God to be able to shift um, Pharaoh, to be able to even let them go. All of these things that have happened. And within the space of a month, their hearts have become so discouraged that they're like, we're going to make a golden calf and we're going to worship that because we think that that is going to be a good God. And I think that there's something about the human condition that it's like it's not miraculous things aren't going to sustain our faith. But actually, it's got to be something deeper because they had seen all these things on, um, in the, you know, in the physical. But the belief on the inside hasn't changed that God was looking after them, that God was their Father, that God had gone before them. And so, when they became fearful, that was the first thing that they defaulted back to. Well, well, let's go back to this because you know, a month earlier they had come and that God when. Um, God had called Moses up the mountain. And that said in Exodus 24, verse 3, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Then Moses, he even left them a list. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. You know like when you, like your parents go away and they leave you like the list of instructions? Like Moses had even like left them the instructions. They had the list stuck to the fridge. You know, this is, you know, this is it. God is with you. But within the space of a month, a month, they'd forgotten all of that stuff and they had let fear so come into their hearts and rob them of all that God had. Because we know that what had God given Moses up on the mountain? He had given them tablets written, engraved by the very hand of God himself. That's what he had in store for them. But they had let fear come in and rob them of that. And I think that there's something about the human condition that we can so quickly allow fear and discouragement to rob us of what God has in store because of the weight, 
because of the discouragement, maybe because we find ourselves in situations that we're like, oh, this isn't how I thought it was going to go. See, our beliefs determine our values and our values determine our behavior. And what was happening was going on with their behavior and making these these golden calves was coming out of a belief that they felt that God had forsaken them. And so that's why it's so important that we can continue to go deeper and go, what are the deep-held beliefs? What are the truths that we actually believe about God? Because I think so often we can get, just get caught in our behaviors and shifting and changing our behaviors and think that, that those are the things that are going to please God. But behaviors always come out of our values that come out of our beliefs. And what had happened was that when they thought that Moses had gone, they resorted back to an orphan mindset. Now, any of you guys that have done David and Greta's School of the Supernatural, they, they talk about this, that we have a mindset of, um, we can have, oh, my notes are upside down, that's a good start. Um, we can have a spirit of an orphan or we can have a spirit of sonship. And there's some quite distinct mindsets around that. So if we have the spirit of an orphan, our image of God is that we see him as a master. But if we have a spirit of sonship, then we see him as a loving father. How we live is quite different depending on what we believe about those things. Our theology, if we have a spirit of an orphan, is that we live by the, we live by the law, the love of the law. We're determined by the law and whether we measure up to it. But if we have a spirit of sonship, we live by the law of love. There's a whole lot more grace and a whole lot more compassion and a whole lot more mercy in that mindset. Our motive behind our Christian disciplines, if we have a spirit of an orphan, we have a duty in earning God's favor or no motivation at all because we feel like we're always going to fall short. But if we have the spirit of sonship, then it's a pleasure and a delight to pursue, to learn, to engage in our relationship more with God. Our source of comfort, if we have an orphan spirit, is we seek comfort in counterfeit affections, addictions, compulsions, escapism, busyness, hyper-religious activity. But if we have a spirit of sonship, then our source of comfort is to seek times of quietness and solitude, to rest in the Father's presence and in love. Those are two quite different ways of living a life, right? They're different behaviors that come from different beliefs. Our view of authority, if we have an orphan spirit, is that we see authority as a source of pain, distrustful towards them, and a lack of heart attitude of submission. Whereas if we have a spirit of sonship, we view authority as respectful, honoring, and we see them as ministers of God for good in our life. A sense of presence, when we have God's presence, when we have an orphan spirit, we feel that it's conditional and that God is distant. But a spirit of sonship tells us that God is close and is intimate and there's comfort within that. Our position when we have an orphan spirit is that we feel like a servant or a slave. But our position when we have a spirit of sonship is that we feel like a son or a daughter. Again, those are two quite different perspectives. And God's heart is that we would always know a sense of being sons and daughters. That's the significance of what Jesus did, was inviting us into a family that 
that we got to experience the fullness of that relationship with God. How deep we let God go in our lives is important. Because in order for him to get hold of some of these beliefs and some of these lies, it's going to take a vulnerability before him. It's going to take a vulnerability before him, but also with other people. In order to go deeper in our relationship with God and not be robbed by discouragement of the things that God has in store for us. See, I spent some, got to the opportunity to spend some time studying in Thailand last year. And I was fascinated to hear from some of the team that came from all across the world. Um, and their journeys of, of working with a whole lot of different people groups and, and amazing things that they were seeing happen over the world. But unfortunately, there were so many times when people had come to faith. And then a crisis or a situation had happened and their default was to go and to seek the witch doctors or the spiritual ancestors or spirit mediums or those things within their communities because there was a deep-held belief that those things were powerful. And when we become discouraged, then we default to what we've known in the past. But there's a vulnerability in allowing God to get hold of some of that stuff and to, to renew our minds and to... Um, allow ourselves to be commanded to live from a different place. And I think we can look at those things and go, oh man, that's, that's really silly. Like, you know, when someone is facing sickness or, or illness and, and to, when you've had an encounter with God to turn in and to go to, to, go to the witch doctor or to go to the, the spirit medium or any of those sorts of things, we can kind of look and we can sort of scoff a little bit of it because we're like, oh man, why, why would you do that? But actually in our moments of desperation, when it's been a month and we're struggling to find God in those places, we're struggling to hold on to if God is going to come through, then there are definitely things within our worlds that we all turn to, right? There are things that we seek our comfort in um, could be unhealthy relationships, throwing ourselves into work in order to find our worth and our purpose in those places. Partying, food, indulging in negative thinking, shopping, overspending, video games, pornography, throwing ourselves into exercise, throwing ourselves into our sports teams to find our sense of worth and value and purpose. See, we all have these things that become our default, right, when we become discouraged. But what are the rhythms and practices that we can put around our lives to remind us of what is important and not allow ourselves to be robbed in those points of discouragement but to be able to hold on to God's faithfulness and God's promises in those times? Here's a few just kind of practical things that we can do and ways to combat discouragement. Remind ourselves of the times that God has been faithful and we have overcome before. Intentionally setting time apart and, and reminding ourselves and sitting down and going, man, what I feel is not always truth. But reminding ourselves intentionally of the times that God has been faithful, of the things that we do know about God. Writing those things down if we have to. Having an encouragement file and times when um, things have helped in the past of times when things have been good. You know, keeping cards and stuff that people have given you that, um, you know, when you have, you have, you know, done nice things for them and they've appreciated you, those sorts of things. Um, get moving. Do something active rather than just kind of sitting and being in that space. Take a break and do something different in order to refocus. 
Meet with someone who encourages you being intentional about that community. Limiting the time with those that are negative and discourage you. Clean up, sort out, and throw out a space, right? Who knows that sometimes just like cleaning your desk, cleaning your room, cleaning your house, and even good sort out can often deal with some of the discouragement and help you feel a little bit more, yep, you can do this. Confide in someone you trust about how you're feeling. Encourage someone else. Do something of service for someone else. Get a short-term win. Do something that you know is going to be easy and help to get um, some motivation and kind of kick some things back into gear. Spend some time alone to reflect and recharge on where you're at. Pray. Read your Bible regularly. Listen to some great music. Find a way to laugh. That be hanging out with someone funny or, or watching something funny. But, you know, those, those natural things that God has given us within our body that release, you know, chem- chemicals and those sorts of things that can help us when we get in a rut. Get some sleep and get some, some help if it is ongoing. But what is the biggest thing that we can do um, in order to help deal with our discouragement? Is to keep our relationship with God healthy. Um, this morning, we're actually going to take communion together for the first time out here in Sarwin. It's exciting. Yeah. So um, congratulations. You guys get to be the first. We're, um, we're still working out how we're going to do it. Hopefully, this way works. If it doesn't, we'll do it a different way next time. Um, but I think you know, God gave us, the, gave us communion, right? And if we look at the, the first time when he shared with the disciples in, in Matthew chapters 26, he says, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine before now or until the day when I drink it from the new father's kingdom. Um, I left out. I left out the part about the bread. This is my body. Oops. Sorry, so he obviously talks as well about the bread and the body and those sorts of things. And God gave them this because Jesus knew what was coming next, right? He knew that he was going to go to the cross. He knew that he was going to go into the, into the grave. He knew that it was going to be a resurrection, but the disciples at that stage, they didn't know what was going on, right? And so he knew that there was going to be hard times ahead. He knew that there was going to be discouragement. So he had given them something as a tactile reminder that God was with them, that God was for them. And what do we learn about this? What are we reminded of when we take communion? That we are loved. That the extent of the love of the Father was to go to the cross for us, to take him who had no sin, was to take all of our sin upon him so that nothing would ever ever separate us from the Father again, that we would get to know the closeness and the fullness of the experience that he had with God. We would get to know that relationship, that when we stood before the Father, that we would never, he wouldn't see our sin, but he would see the righteousness of Jesus, that there was always going to be a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance in the Father because grace was going to prevail that there was nothing that we could do that was ever going to make the Father love us more. But the extent of his love was that even when we were broken, when we were far away, 
is that he was still so incredibly in love with us that he was willing to go to these lengths to restore relationship for us. We're also reminded that Jesus was fully human and fully God, that he understands our humanity, that he understands the world that we live in. He is not God who is far off and gone, good luck to you guys. But he is Emmanuel. He is God who dwells with people. He is the creator who came and dwelt within his own creation. That God has a plan. See, the disciples didn't know what was coming next. But the father did. The father knew that there was a greater plan that was in place, that was being outworked in that moment. That in the times when the disciples were hiding and were fearful and had run away and their world had been turned upside down, that God was still with them and that God still had a plan. And that we can always have confidence that no matter what is going on in our world, that we can trust in a good God who always has a plan. And he invites us to be part of something that is so much bigger than any of our one lives. See, I want to encourage you, as part of my, part of my role um, here, yeah, I get to oversee a lot of our global teams, and which means I get some updates and encouragements and stuff that come through from them. And I want to share a little story from you that um, we heard this week from one of our teams that's walking, working in a new region um, of Thailand. And they had heard, you know, the same gospel. This is what they are sharing with people, that God is for us that God loves us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God anymore, right? And um, there's this one family, and they, her name is Tick, and she's a duck farmer, her and her family. And they raise around about 10,000 ducks, right? And they have been, they have been Buddhist family who has come to faith in Jesus and had a realization of, of Jesus being their Lord and Savior. And, and so they... Um, they had heard all these stories about, uh, you know, Passover and, and the power of the blood of Jesus. And you have to remember that they've come from a Buddhist background, so they're deeply spiritual people. They're, they're very aware of spiritual things and the power of those things in the world. And they, but they learned that the blood of Jesus, that Jesus is so much more powerful than any of these spirits that they've encountered, right? And so they have about 10,000 ducks, and each year they lose between... 2,000 to 4,000 of these ducks by about three weeks, right? Which is a massive part of their livelihood and all these sorts of things. But I want to show you guys a photo. Um, so they put this red flag at the, at the front of their farm. And to them, they were like, this symbolizes the blood of Jesus. That now our life and our farm is set apart for God's plans and purposes, right? And each day they would go down and they would stand in front of these flags and they would remind themselves of what God and what Jesus has done for them. And together with her in-laws and with her family, they would pray. They would pray um, over their lives and over their farm and, and all these things and just declare the power of the blood of Jesus. And do you know what's incredible? So normally they would lose between 2,000 and 4,000 ducks, right? Their ducks were now at a month old and they had lost two. Yeah. <laughs> Because of God's, God's faithfulness. Because they had discovered that, you know, 
And like, hear my heart on this. It's not about, okay, if we pray to God, then, you know, everything will turn out right. But it's going, actually recognizing that there was power in the blood of Jesus. That there was something that was so much more powerful than what they had been worshiping before. That God was alive and well and is able to do the miraculous. And that that he cared about them. And in that particular way was how he was meeting a need in their lives at the moment because he was a God who was engaged. He's a God who dwells within his creation. He's a God that we can't put inside a box. Um, but a God who is faithful and that they had completely taken hold of the revelation of the power of the blood of Jesus. And so as we come to this time of communion this morning, I want to encourage you. What is it that you're praying and believing for? See, they've realized that actually when we need to take this in in remembrance of me, when the blood of Jesus was poured out, when his body was broken for them, that God was doing something significant in this world. And he was calling us to a life of faith, a life that was engaged in relationship with God. And so I encourage you, as you come this morning, what is it that you're praying and believing God for? Is it praying against, is there some things that you've been discouraged by in the last month? Are there some promises that, that, that you've allowed to be robbed from you because of the time that's passed? You know, is it... Is it, is it more faith to believe for something that God can do something outside of the box, that God can, you know, work through a dark farm or whatever? I don't know what it is within your, your certain situations, but I know that there's a God who does. And so I want to encourage you guys to pray and believe for some of these things. You know, even just praying and believing that, that the seats in this place will be filled with lives that have been touched and impacted by the gospel, that we would be a church that is able to love people well, a healthy, growing church that is making an influence in these communities, that we would have a deep revelation of the love of Jesus in our lives, right? And I wonder, could we also pray for the church across the world? So as we meet this morning, all throughout today, there's going to be churches that, that meet you know, for the next 24 hours in these places. And um, as I was getting some of these stories this week, I was also hearing stories of people where the persecution is, is so great that they've taken to meeting in chicken coops because it's the safest place for them to be able to have church. But what I love is that they take communion in these places. It is the same Jesus. It is the same God that is meeting them in chicken coops. There are pastors now that have ta- they're, so, they're under so much persecution that they've taken to picking up people in their cars and they drive around with worship music on, listening to the audio Bible and sharing and doing church in a car because it's the way that they cannot get caught but they can still meet together and connect with Jesus. There are churches that are meeting in rice paddy fields and houses and caves and cathedrals all across the world. And let's pray that the church continues to grow across the world. That God is not limited by buildings or spaces or boxes that we put him in. But that he is alive. He is the resurrected Savior. That he is working and moving and he is calling people home. He is calling sons and daughters back into relationship with him.